mention it. Yeah. from the stew live from the new and improved stew new stew we're in the living room this is like some soundcloud podcasting i think we got to make that a genre like it's not soundcloud rap anymore right this is it's not bedroom rap anymore this is like lo-fi yeah that's kind of fire lo-fi podcasting that's kind of fire all right welcome to the now that you mention it podcast with kevin and dane i'm dane and i'm kevin what's good Nothing much. Um, Golden State lost the championship. Yep. Many knew they would once Kevin Durant went down. So that's that's a joyous day that the Golden State fans don't get to, you know, cheer and have a parade and shit. So Drake sort of intentionally memeing himself with the, I want my chips with the dip, bring me them dips. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very corny. Mm-hmm. Highly corny. Although the it's so corny that it's like I kind of got to laugh at it. I mean, it's funny, but Drake is trash. Like this, that's the only problem with. It's the only problem with Toronto. With Toronto bringing bringing the you know championship to Canada. Or taking it rather to Canada, um, Drake is just annoying. Yeah, but I kind of got like he single-handedly inserted himself into an organization that he has nothing to do with. Right, like he has no ownership stake. Like we're talking about, like so he's the global ambassador of the Toronto Raptors, right? So for NBA fans out there, the global ambassador would be the equivalent of like. Clipper Daryl, like if you know NBA basketball, you've like seen Clipper Daryl. Drake is basically Clipper Daryl, <laughs> and he gets to like get on like he's on the fucking uh, the the celebration train. You know he's 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 on the he's in the truck and he's grat he's chugging beers and all of this shit. Like he just like he hit the game winner or something like. It's, I, I'm over Drake, bro. But, but I like the audacity of it is kind of astounding. But is it audacious? Because I mean, the the organization is like, yeah, he inserted himself, quote unquote, or that's how we're looking at it. But the organization understands who Drake is to Toronto, and having you know the biggest music star or one of them at least. At your disposal, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's easy. That's easy math right there. That's easy marketing math. Maybe audacious isn't the right word. Like presumptuous. I mean, first of all, the underlying question here that I have had for a long, long time is part of Drake's identity is that he is the sixth god. He is like 
the Toronto representative. But does the city really hold him down like that? <laughs> like, really? Like, do, does the city really hold him down like that? I don't, I, I, I can't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not Canadian, so I can't, I can't speak to it. I mean, if they do, if they like really, really ride for him, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like cats in the South ride for Boosie, I don't know, mm-hmm. where, where, Boosie's from Louisiana, right? Yeah. So like Louisiana cats ride for Boosie, then that's kind of trash of Canada to ride for Drake like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think too, like with with the fact that, you know, the the Raptors are in the NBA. Like they're in an American league. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really think it's like really dependent on how much Toronto or Canada rocks with Drake more so than it does Toronto's appeal to the NBA and Drake's, you know, sort of already, you know, established himself in American pop culture. And so it's easier for the Raptors to sort of, you know, raise their profile by having somebody like Drake, you know, because they aren't it's not like they're playing in the fucking Canadian Basketball Association or some shit like that where, you know, so I think that has something to do with it as well. Like Drake is is American pop culture right now, ironically. And right. And he sort of gives Toronto like this new I don't know. He infused them with some type of, you know, new appeal or, or something. Yeah, I see what you're yeah. saying. So it's just like I think I think for the NBA, like and for the Raptors, it, that's what they're fucking with Drake so much for. But he's trash though. He is his reaction to KD, the, the, like he's a walking meme, bro. The dramatic sauce, oh, yeah, bro. that's cemented as a real term. <laughs> the dramatic sauce. First like, of all, how was Drake ever an actor? Like he's know. a it's, it's he's a bad horrible. actor. It's horrible, because he was in Canada. I guess <laughs> Canada hasn't been known to export great actors. No, I have no. I have no idea who else is Canadian. Right, you know who exports great actors is the UK. Yeah, but I. But there was a period where I was kind of tight that all these dope actors from the UK were playing American roles. Yeah, like, I know. Give that like, like Idris Elba playing Stringer Bell, one of the all-time great television characters. Mm-hmm. Props to Idris Elba, but like. That's a great American character. Give right. that to a dude who's right. actually from Baltimore. Fuck. But, but I don't know. Like, it's a character. So. It's a character. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. So you. But have the, and the, but there, but there were a, there's a lot of that. Like, isn't the dude in dude from Get Out? Dude from Get Out. That's what I was thinking yeah. too. British. Um, he's British. It's, it's a lot of like British cats. Yeah. But they're like actually oh like they're real like thespians though. Uh, like yeah, real yeah, shit, yeah, 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 real shit. Like they're over there, like doing like theater. Like they're like really learning how to. Like, yeah, so they have they have chops. Yeah, so they come over here and they're like shitting on the actors over here who are just like, oh, you have a you have the look. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. You look, and you're like a horrible actor. You know what was so ridiculous? Did you hear about this movie? The Ted Bundy doc came out, which I thought was dope. Mm-hmm. There was a Ted Bundy movie drama starring Zac Efron mm-hmm. and 
all the press and everything I was seeing on my timeline about it was like, wow, Zac Efron snapped on this one. Like, wow, I never thought Zac Efron was such a serious actor. I never knew he could do this, blah, 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 blah. That was the mo- like, so garbage at acting. <laughs> like, he, it was just so ridiculous. Like, it's like, no wonder. Like, these cats really can't act. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like, it's like, it's like the same thing with like when like a little Yachty who just makes a mixtape and then all of a sudden he's like the face of rap and then they, they can't really back their shit up mm-hmm. because they've, they've just been like propped up yeah. so much. It's like, no wonder these cats can't act. Like, what have they done? What have they been asked to do? But anyways, this Ted Bundy movie starring Zac Efron as fucking Ted Bundy. Right. And like, he's trying to be sinister and like put pathos in it. It was really, (laughs) you're pissed. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I take this acting shit seriously, like the TV shit I take. Right. I take seriously. But, um, okay, so I want to pivot a little in this opening segment. So when we were talking a little while ago, you self-identified as a foodie. Mm -hmm. So I want to explore this a little bit because the term foodie kind of got me thinking about our talk about Hype beasts mm-hmm. we had in our second episode. So, as a self-identified foodie, what, what, what does that mean to you? Mm, I think one who appreciates food. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's not that deep. Yeah, one I don't think so because I think, I think when people talk about like being foodies, I think they automatically sort of associate it with like you have to eat at certain restaurants and, you know, have like certain types of cuisine or it be presented in a certain type of way. You know, it's all, it's always like sort of that, like it is hype around it, but it's also like presentation. So like how cats are able to like curate and present the food that they eat. You know, I think a lot of that shit gets like conflated with like just a foodie is just someone who just appreciates food. Okay, I can rock with that definition. So where I was going with it was, so being a hype beast does not mean you have good style. No. In the same way, I feel like being a foodie doesn't mean you actually have good taste in food. No. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because How- I think, I think again, like it's a conflation. So I think you have people who are like, who say they're foodies in the same vein as like hype beasts think that they have style. So like, okay. So you have cats who are like, you know, I only need to go, you know, I, I got to fucking eat at Momofuku because cats are like fucking talking about it or whatever. But it's like, no, if that shit, I mean, granted Momofuku is actually pretty really good. fire. Really fire. <laughs> but just as the example is like, if, if the shit wasn't good, you would have cats who self identify as foodies still saying, that Momofuku is fire because, you know, because of the hype around it. So, okay. So, you, identifying as a foodie, you are not making any claim to, like, a, a superior knowledge of food. I think that you, that. So, it's not a sufficient. No, I, I don't think. It's so. necessary, but not sufficient. Right. Okay. Right, right. So, here's the thing. So, I know this dude who identifies as a foodie for sure, but identifies almost a little more. I think he, in court, in his definition of foodie, it's like he really knows what's up with food. Like, he's kind of like a self-styled chef, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like, makes pickles at home, brews his own beer, this kind of dude. He has okay, a beard okay, and right, a ear. Right, you, right, know, you know this right, cat. Right, right. 
And then I'm like out eating with him. And he's OD picky. Mm-hmm. And OD picky to the point where like he's messing with what the chef intended the plate to be. So that was a red flag to me where I was like, this dude is full of shit because if you are really about that food and we're at like – we're not at like some place that's like really trash where I wouldn't really – I'm like, we're at this place that's supposed to be pretty good and you're over here like picking out shit Mm -hmm. like a little 12-year-old boy who doesn't like onions or whatever and like you're supposed to be a foodie. Right. So that's – so okay. So are are you picky? (laughs) No. Okay, cool. No. See, that's a big, that's like a big, like, I'm like neurotic about that. Like, if you're picky, you can't be, you don't. No, you can't be. You can't be picky if you're going to be. You have to be open. Yeah. You have to be open to like, you know, it's all kind of shit out there. So if you aren't like, even, even crossing over like cuisine, like, you know, you have cats who are just like, I'm strictly like the classic burgers, fries, hot dogs, steaks, shit like that or whatever. And to get them to like. And even if they, like, fuck with pasta, it's like, oh, I know shrimp fettuccine or whatever. But, like, you know, if you're a foodie, then you have to be open to be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to try this fusilli, you know, instead or something, right? But, yeah, you know, if cats are, like, super close-minded. No, I just think think foodies have been co-opted by, like, the Instagram cohort, Mm -hmm. like, the the IG whore cohort who, like, just takes pictures of it or, like, pictures of them eating it. Right. But like, do, are you really appreciating the food or are you just calling yourself a foodie? That's, no. that's my thing. No. Okay. All right. We established that. Yeah. I was about to, I was about to come down on you hard if, if you were like, I'm picky. <laughs> no, man, I'm not picky. All right. You're not going to die on that mountain. No. All right. So last thing in this opening segment, Trevor Noah mm-hmm. stole our original podcast title. I know. So I think this means podcast podcast beef pot yeah i think this means podcast beef okay i think i could beat trevor noah up too oh i could i could definitely whoop his ass so yeah that's if if it really like came down to it so what does trevor noah really bring to the table Um, an exotic accent (laughs) 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 Um, i don't know i mean he's kind of funny like you know, he's pretty, I mean, he's at least like, you know, yeah, he's kind of funny and he's, I don't know, kind of funny at best. Yeah. And he's at least not dumb. Like, I'm, I'm not for like the slapstick comedian with like no type of like perception of, you know, the world around them. Now he doesn't have a comedic voice to me. His voice is funny. Though. His voice is idiosyncratic, <laughs> but his style, I don't think he has a style. So, mm-hmm. but anyways. Yeah, I don't think, and then that's, yeah, that's, he, he's also like, not somebody I'm like checking for like that anyway, because he's like, you know, you, you kind of have to be compromised a bit to have like the late night talk show. Like it's, it's certain shit that you aren't saying that you know, comedians who are still like doing like live shows and hour specials and shit are able to say so. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. So because he stole the original idea of this podcast, original name, like while we had that name, because we've been recording for a year and we just haven't been releasing this shit. Right. And it's a podcast. It's not even like some, 
it's a it's a podcast. Yeah, no, it was ours first. So fuck. so fuck Trevor Noah. All right. So when we come back, we are going to be talking about art. Mm-hmm. That was trash. We're going to be having the conversation. Can you separate the art and the artist? Mm-hmm. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Now That You Mention It podcast. So at this point, I would like to welcome our listeners to reach out to us on social media. Mm. We have a Twitter, we have an Instagram, and we have a Facebook. We do? I just made the Facebook. That's trash. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah it was really bad. I had to like make a Facebook account myself to make the, the, the podcast Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is so slimy. Oh, that's trash. Yeah, so I had to I had to do it. I had not been on Facebook. Anyways, Twitter at NTYMIPod. Mm-hmm. N-T-Y-M-I-Pod. Same for Instagram. If you want to hit us up on email, mm. it's NTYMIPod at gmail.com. Right. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So, in the main segment of today's show, we are having the highly topical conversation. Can you separate the art and the artist? The never-ending conversation. Yeah, the conversation that everyone has an opinion on that kind of gets old after a while. Not after this, though. Right. Um, you kind of hear the same sort of recycled arguments said from varying points on people's, I guess, ideological Spectrum. (laughs) But, so, the way we're going to frame this conversation, with a couple big picture questions. One, is it even possible to separate the art from the artist? The other, is it morally permissible to consume art created by morally repugnant individuals or to consume art created by an individual who has done one morally reprehensible thing? A couple. As a, you know a long litany of morally reprehensible things. So before we dive into that conversation, I just sort of wanted to give it like a little bit of an academic slash historical backdrop to just sort of give the impression that this conversation has been going on for a long, long time. And the earliest I could trace it to was Aristotle. So in Aristotle's rhetoric, which I would say is his second biggest piece of work, um, he talks about this concept of ethos. So Aristotle's rhetoric is basically a treatise on speech giving and how speeches persuade or fail to persuade their audiences. So Aristotle basically claims that speeches consist of three parts. 
you have the speaker, you have the subject of the speech, and you have the listener or audience to whom the speech is addressed. Because of that sort of three, three-way division, or like because speeches are constituted of those three things, he says the persuasive capacity of a speech has to be related to each of these three elements. So in other words, he's saying that whether or not a speech persuades its audience is a function of the character of the speaker, him or herself, which Aristotle calls ethos, or it's a function of what the speaker is actually saying, i.e. like the subject or content of their speech, the argument of the speech, that's what Aristotle calls logos, or it depends on the emotional state of the audience. So ethos is what's germane to our discussion of art and artist. And Aristotle is pointing out sort of what I think is a pretty basic intuition that if a person appears to have a good character, we're more likely to trust what that person says. But, and this is what's super important to the separation of the art and the artist, ethos does not refer to the speaker's actual moral character. Ethos is the projected image of the speaker in the speech. And the ever-reliable philosophy resource, Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, put it way more articulately than I can put it. Quote, it is not necessary that the speaker is actually virtuous. On the contrary, a pre-existing good character cannot be part of the technical means of persuasion. So, okay, so why is this relevant to the discussion of art and artist? He's separate. He's from the jump. He's separating the speaker from the speech. He's separating the work from the creator. He's separating the art from the artist. He's saying that the biographical details are not going to play a role in persuading people. In other words, like if some dude is giving a shitty speech. It's not going to matter to the audience if someone who knows dude is like, yo, he's actually a good guy. We should hear him out. Right. right? Speech is shit. Yeah. So if the speech is trash, it's not going to persuade people. This is essentially what Aristotle is saying. The biographical details of the speaker are irrelevant. And Kevin, here I'll toss it over to you for some real life examples of this shit. I thought in sort of doing this like summary of Aristotle, I was – I thought of Trump, how the biographical details of Trump seem to have no bearing whatsoever on – how what he says affects mostly his base. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right. And that's because the base already has some type of perception of Trump or what Trump represents. And so because of that, they're more willing to accept whatever the fuck comes out or whatever is revealed, you know, to be morally reprehensible about Trump. Yeah. Like, but it's also like, it's also, you think about like, R. Kelly and just or music in general, but you can we can use R. Kelly as an example. But like, say, for instance, there's a couple who, you know, got married five years ago and their first dance was to step in the name of love. Do you think that that couple is thinking about step in the name of love? I mean, thinking about him having sex with little girls when they hear step in the name of love or are they thinking about their wedding day. If that's what, if they say that what we think about is, you know, their wedding is our wedding day. Then, I mean, what's, you know, yeah, then cats are going to fuck with it. Like that's what they, you know, that's something special to them. That's outside of this, like, you know, who R. Kelly is supposed to be or whatever. Right. And so I also, I, I, I thought about how this separation of the Speaker and the speech sort of occurs in hip hop too, like where I think there's a little less separation, sort of off, like 
from the jump, there's less separation with hip hop. Like if we find out compromising details about um, like a rapper's biographical, like the biographical details of a rapper's life, we're more inclined to like dismiss their work categorically. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what came to mind was Rick Ross being discovered mm-hmm. to be a CO. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now it seems like Rick Ross has sort of an established place in the hip hop firmament. Yeah. But, you know, at the time that was, no, that was at the time deal. that was controversial. And right. so I feel like it's just interesting to note, we can sort of put a pin in that. Like, it's interesting to note that hip hop, there's almost like less separation. But, but that separation that comes down to like persona versus the person. Like, yeah. You know. And authenticity in hip hop, right? Too. But that authenticity is sort of contingent upon the the persona that you project, right? Like, well, fuck, we're gonna be here all night. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. So. Okay, so I'll quickly continue to a couple more what what I take to be sort of key um, historical slash academic um, points at which this separation of art and artist occurs. So there are two terms that. You hear a lot in literary theory. One is biographical fallacy and two is intentional fallacy. And so Aristotle's discussion of ethos is actually a perfect lead into what literary critics call the biographical fallacy. And real quick, a fallacy is just a logical flaw based on a faulty assumption. So the biographical fallacy occurs when someone believes that a work of art must be a reflection of the author's lived experience. So like this is really common in high school and Kevin, I'm sure you can attest like teaching college workshops, like where students will comb through the biographical details of an author's life in the hopes that those details will somehow shed light on like some hidden meaning in the text. And so, okay, so why is that? Why is it wrong to do that? Because it totally de-emphasizes the text itself and fails to explain how texts can convey meaning to readers who are not the authors. So if the meaning of a work of art can only be explained by appealing to biography, then how could cats who are not the author derive any meaning from it? Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly, like, we do derive meaning from shit that we don't actually create ourselves so therefore, like it really is a fallacy to appeal to the biography of the artist slash creator slash author. And the belief that the work ought to be separated from the author was championed heavily by the new critics and like new criticism quickly was a movement in literary theory in America in the 50s and into the 60s, but I think it started in the 50s. Um, and there's this really, really seminal paper called The Intentional Fallacy which I had drilled into my head in lit theory in undergrad. Um, Intentional Fallacy is by Wimsett and uh, Beardsley. It's one of the foundational papers of the new criticism. And they, in the paper, they claim that an author's intention is, quote, neither available nor desirable as a standard for judging the success of a work of literary art. They say that judging a poem is like judging a pudding or a machine, one demands that it work. I don't know what the fuck they were talking about with pudding, but basically they're saying to consider the art on its own terms. Um, okay, done with my uh, academic monologue. Thank you. Shit. Come on, bro. We gotta 
we got to really have the conversation in like concrete terms instead of just like speaking from just like, I feel like we, we should. Aren't, and we aren't it. really podcasting then if we aren't just armchairing it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, also, the one article that Kevin assigned to us was garbage. It really was. I hated that article, but whatever. We don't have to talk about it. That was a trash comeback, bro. That's cool, though. (laughs) Okay, is it wrong? I'm going to surprise you with the way I'm going to argue right now because I didn't say what I actually think. Mm -hmm. But is it wrong? Okay, there's three different ways to approach like the R. Kelly conversation or the Michael Jackson conversation or whatever. Is it wrong to listen to it? Is it wrong to buy it? Let's, uh, Let's just start there. Those are two different questions. Okay, is it wrong to listen to it? Yeah. No. Art is subjective. So, again, like, back to the the married couple. If the meaning of the song is attached to, you know, their wedding day or something, then no. Like, I don't think it's, like, are you saying that that they can't sort of relive this moment that is encapsulated in this song because we find out that, you know, R. Kelly isn't the morally upright person that we would like him to be. Like, no, I think that's bullshit. Um, And then I think if you try to appeal to this idea that, well, let's say that it's not even a moral question, but it's more of a, like, cause and effect question in relation to, like, buying or supporting the art of a particular artist. Okay, so then now we have to look at art as a business. So, right? Like if we're talking about consumption, it's on the marketplace as a product by which you are consuming. You give your money in one way or another to, you know, an entity for them to give you whatever that product is, right? Are are we in agreement? Yeah, I... I I, I I agree that that's how, like, buying shit works. Right. Yeah. And so that's how, that that's basically where you're putting, you're framing art, if that's what you're saying, that, you know, you can't buy it because, you know, somebody's morally reprehensible or something. You're framing it as, you know, something to do with business. It's a business transaction. So if that's the case, then there's a lot of shitty business people that you continue to do business with you continue to shop at amazon or shop on amazon or shop at walmart and shit like that and these these uh multinational corporations are doing all kind of shit that's causing generational harm but no one's like saying like let's boycott like getting our you know food delivered in yeah but hold on hold on but that's like that I don't know that that's a good argument because that is like sort of not addressing you're, that's sort of like the whataboutism that's so common today. It's like X is bad. Well, yeah, X is well, yeah, but what about Y? Y is bad too, and you do that. So like, okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. But again, you're not you're taking art out of its subjective out of its place as art, as just something to be experienced when you put it in, when you put it on the marketplace. Now I'm not, it's not what about ism because it's on the marketplace as anything else. As a consumer, you have 
the ability to say, I'm going to fuck with something or not for whatever reason that you do. Right. But, uh, but now like consumers are increasingly making more informed decisions, or I should say decisions that are informed by their morality. Like they want the cage free eggs. Right. But is, but again, you're buying your cage free eggs from Amazon. So how morally upright and upstanding. Okay, let's take Amazon out of it. The point is that the consumer is buying shit that they they don't want they don't want blood on their hands. Okay. So then you if you don't want blood on your hands, then there's a lot of shit that you can't do. Okay, but getting blood on your hands for one thing doesn't necessarily make the other thing just by default amoral. So then if we were to have this conversation about shopping and shit, and then I were to bring up art as something that's being sold on the marketplace, then you would have to have this same argument that, well, this isn't about that because this, you, you see what I'm saying? Wait, no, 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 no. Tell me, tell me. So I, what I'm saying is you're saying like, you can't say that your blood, that you don't want blood on your hands for this. And, you know, we're sort of, we're talking about this one thing. So don't, you know, bring up the blood that comes from all this other shit. iPhones. So what I'm saying is it, you can, you can swap, you can swap that. We could be talking about, you know, why are you not buying cage-free eggs? Well, why the fuck are you listening to, you know, why are you consuming art? Why are you purchasing art? Why are you supporting this artist or some shit like that? Because it's on the marketplace. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So are you saying, so your position with respect to, is it wrong to, well, for shit. No, you can listen, you can listen to something and not buy it. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, if so, so is it wrong to listen to it? Is it morally morally wrong? No. Okay. No. Is it? So do you do you have that same stance like with um like let's say factory farmed meat? Morally wrong to 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 buy to to buy it to, to cons- buy it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess I'm trying to. Where do you draw the the line in the causal chain? So, like, let's take factory farming. No, what? Well, I guess I guess my point was that that people who appeal to the argument that you can't buy whatever, you know, you can't support this artist in any way, whether that's you stream their music so they get paid, you know, mm-hmm. off of that some somehow, not very much, but somehow, um, you you know, like their pictures on Instagram, whatever you do to support them, right? All the way to like buying albums, you know, going to concerts and shit like that, where you're, you know, giving your money in support of this person that's, you know, morally reprehensible. What I'm saying is, if you're saying that that part, like that doing that is wrong because you're funding them to then be able to continue this behavior or whatever, or you're in some, in some way, um, in some way, like, Funding their behavior or some shit, right? Or like condoning or it. Or condoning it. Yeah. Um, thank you. I was I had a brain freeze. Um, I think then you have to, you know, you have to account for where your money is going in all other facets. Because it's if we're talking about like now are we we are gonna have to talk about like gradation. Like, you know, are we gonna go to the extent of 
you know, what we choose to, you know, consume as far as food and what we choose to pay for in terms of, you know, cell phone serve. Like it's all kind of shit. Oh, like I that, tot- that argument is never ending. I, I totally agree with you that it's highly irrational for like the cliche woke person on Twitter to be like, all of you are condoning sexual assault by continuing to listen to R. Kelly. Right. And then, you know, he or she still has an iPhone. He or she still right. gets there. And that's, that's all I'm saying. Okay. And but, so, but okay, that, that's and totally then, cool. And then the last part is, if you are a person who says that if I listen, you know, if you if you aren't like the married couple who can listen to R. Kelly's song and not be reminded of whatever, you know, relevatory information we have, and you're a person who says, you know, I'm a victim of sexual assault or whatever. And so when I hear this, I'm triggered or, you know, whatever the case. Right. And you make that claim that for me and my like where I stand morally or whatever, that, you know, I can't fuck with it. Then I think that 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 claim is also valid. I think that it like art is subjective. So however you experience that is how you experience that. And I think to to like make a blanket claim over it. Because, you know, you feel a certain type of way about somebody, I think is kind of, you know, that's too much. That's some bullshit. Okay, so my, the reason I say that it might be actually a moral wrong to consume the art of, let's take, let's take even just like a totally fictitious, like imagine like the most reprehensible person who also makes fire art, whatever you want to insert into the, for the variable of like the reprehensible part. Mm -hmm. And let's say they fully fucking did that shit and whatever, whatever, like at a certain point you have to draw the line. Like, so I was thinking of like, I was thinking of like the factory farm thing. Like Mm -hmm. I am not a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I constantly find myself being like, I find no moral justification for continuing to eat meat Mm. just in general forget factory farming but let's just take factory farming Mm. so that doesn't just because i continue to do it and it's like it's inconvenient it would be inconvenient for me to totally stop eating meat and i sort of write it off as like oh everyone's doing it and maybe 100 years from now they'll look back on us and be like wow that was sort of morally abhorrent that generation like Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll view it that that kind of way. It's like I continue to do it, but I, that, I don't feel like that makes it morally okay. And so, if consu- so, let's take consuming the art of someone morally reprehensible. It's like at what point can you? Is the art not just the like the byproduct of the morally reprehensible person in the same way that the meat that ends up in the in the supermarket consuming it would be morally reprehensible because it's a byproduct of this morally reprehensible act like to me that's that's a perfect parallel with art i mean i guess part of it is like The, the moral questions, like whatever that, you know, whatever the person does, I think the moral questions are always sort of compromised, though, because like. What do you mean? Because we don't like people aren't. People aren't like 
aligned with the same shit. Like the fact that like you have a you know an artist who is morally reprehensible, and let's say that they are you know I don't know a child molester or some shit, right? To make this claim about the artist in particular and sort of look at that person in a vacuum, I think misses the fact that this person is representative, the art as a byproduct of this society and the artist, you know, him or herself is a reflection of this society. Like, yeah, that person's a a pedophile or whatever. And there's a, you know, a large issue. (laughs) There's a large, like, you know, population of fucking pedophiles out here. And it's like, what are we going to do about like protecting kids versus, you know, let's sort of wash our hands with this reality of Mm. pedophilia. Okay, so you're sort of arguing against like the tokenism of... Right, because it's easy. The tokenism of like this one... Like again, like you're able to individualize like these realities of, you know, within society that are like, that are some, you know that's some real shit that should be questioned and should be challenged, right? Versus we can see, you know, we see this person who we've like exalted as some, you know, celebrity or whatever. And now we're able to, you know, sort of cancel that element of society by canceling this person. So like cancel, you know, Michael Jackson, we're also canceling, you know, child molestation basically, or with, you know, with, uh, R. Kelly were like canceling, you know, the taking advantage of underage girls. And right. Shit. So, like, hmm. okay. So I actually think that there's um, like a deeper argument sort of in between the lines of what you're saying. So if the urge to like cancel an R. Kelly is done primarily to sort of sanitize the conscience of the people who are calling for R. Kelly's cancellation. So like they can, you know, this is sort of a simplified version, but so, so, so they can sort of sleep better at night. Mm -hmm. Then it's something to be sort of railed against. Like, fuck that. Like, okay, this is sort of tokenism. Like you're just, you're just wiping away this, the historical record or whatever. So you can sleep better at night, but you're not really doing anything to address you know, the larger problem of sexual assault, right. you know, at large. Right. Um, but if it's, but I mean, you could, you could find yourself arguing against someone who's like, yeah, fuck R. Kelly. I don't want this person to have such a, a, a big name and I don't want to hear his music when he's such a reprehensible person. And also fuck the larger culture that produced him. So, like, it's less of the – I feel like you're sort of going after the, the motivations that people may or may not have when, when they want to cancel people for doing really wretched shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I could be like, yeah, f- fuck R. Kelly, fuck Roman Polanski, but also, like, I'm involved with – I'm out there on the front lines, you know, for for victims of – Sexual assault, child sexual assault, that sort of mm. stuff. So it's like I'm I'm trying to do both. I'm trying to get it from like the top down cultural level, and I'm trying to address it from the ground up. Right, but and that person could still be like, "So fuck the art." 
Right. And and that's again, that's one person's subjective experience, like f- how culture operates. Culture operates from a like people like we we get this false idea that like everyone's an individual and uh, like people have a fucking herd mentality. And so you're not you're not really sitting here and contemplating like the deeper moral questions and shit for the most part. You hear that, you know, so-and-so did something and that's their piece of shit. And the re- and that gets inundated based on the people that you talk to, the fucking culture. I mean, the, the content that you consume and everything like that. So you're making this claim and you're like, oh, you're either moving with the herd mentality or you're like, or it's self-congratulatory. Like it's one of the other, but like, for it to be like a true, like the person who's who says, you know, I'm on the front lines and I'm doing my shit or whatever and says, you know, fuck the art. I think that's a totally different person than your average Joe goes to work, you know, goes home, fucking watches, you know, clips and shit on complex and fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like right. the regular fucking person. Yeah is not sitting here like on the front lines working for this shit or having these type of conversations. I actually don't think there's many people out there that really care enough to cancel someone completely. No. Like I think it's a very – like this is such a cliche phrase, especially for like people who talk about shit for a living, but um, not that that's what we do yet. Um, Yet. But but it's like a – it's a vocal minority – Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's very few people who are like, yeah, I'm, it's just like, people aren't really motivated like that. And then I don't think that like, I, I I think that people are also like, at the very least, they're attuned to like, this shit, like, I think when you get to like, look at somebody like a R. Kelly or, you know, we keep using him as an example. I kind of want to switch it up. But, um... You could go. I mean, you, Roman Polanski is sufficiently yeah, Roman reprehensible. Polanski. Right, right. So it's like, so let's say, but his, his the sheer numbers of Roman Polanski. I wonder what. Like, it's just, isn't it just like the, the yeah. stepdaughter? And that's kind of fucked up to say. I mean, he, Roman Polanski fully had sex yeah. with a 13-year-old yeah, that's in a hot gross. tub. Yeah, that's nasty. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, it's yeah, disgusting. It's a piece of shit. Yeah. But, um, okay, so go Bill so, Cosby. Go Bill so, Cosby. So let's say... Okay, so I think so. Okay, perfect. So Bill Cosby, like, let's say that, you know, Bill Cosby drugged 40 women, had sex with all 40 of them or whatever, right? Jesus Christ. (laughs) Holy shit. Right. But I think for a lot of people, how they experience the Cosby show or how they remember the Cosby show is, yo, I was a fucking little kid watching the Cosby show, you know, whatever, whatever. And so that's how I remember it. Now, can you make a claim about that person outside of that? Well, then that's where you separate. That's where it's like, okay, that motherfucker is on some other shit like that. But I think the average person is sort of like consumed in their own everydayness that like to think that they're making these claims and are stepping outside of themselves to like, make take a real stand against something like that i think is you know far-fetched at best yeah of course i we're to- i totally agree about that and so i think there's sort of an interesting case to be made for in that other article we read by jacob kupperman um 
he sort of makes what he calls the pragmatic argument. Um, maybe it wasn't government. I don't know. Not me. I'm not coining that term in, in the context of this conversation. But so this is basically the idea that now I can't see the image of Bill Cosby or hear the name Bill Cosby and not think of rape. So it's like his artistic statement, legacy, whatever, is just sort of neutralized by that as more of a descriptive fact than it is like any kind of – But is there it? isn't sort of any normative claim in there. It's just like Bill Cosby, I see – OK, I just think of him – drugging and raping a lot of yeah like and and to say that i think that's like i think you're like in and not saying you obviously but i think like someone who says that is is imposing their own morality and their own worldview onto other consumers of whatever that art might be so like yeah you may see you know you may see the person and you know only think of rape but Joe Blow sitting next to you thinks about sitting on his couch at, you know, seven or eight in the morning and shit and watching the Cosby show. Yeah. You know, so it's like for you to make that claim, I think is like that's coming from a privileged perspective. So it's like, oh, this is the sort of morally, you know, upright stance to take on a particular issue. And so therefore, if you aren't, you know, adhering to this moral standard then therefore you know you can be thrown in the fucking boxes uh condoning somebody who's morally reprehensible or being morally reprehensible yourself yeah and that's just that's a privilege like you know perspective to come from or to look at this shit by so the one of the things that troubles me is that um in terms of, and now I guess we're talking a little bit more about like sort of just the straight up cancel culture, mm-hmm. quote unquote. But uh, we read a couple articles a little while back uh, in preparation for this episode about activists who wanted to take down paintings mm-hmm. by like the great visual artists of the twentieth of the twentieth and nineteenth centuries. Like Caravaggio and shit. Yeah, and I think um, Van Gogh was a motherfucker, wasn't he? Who was the? I think so. Or no, Picasso, Picasso was a, was a yeah. Picasso. Ooh. Picasso was a piece of shit. <laughs> Speaking in cubism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Picasso was a really bad, not a bad motherfucker like Miles Davis, like a reprehensible. Motherfucker. Yeah, bad as in bad, not bad as in good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but so. Yeah, there was sort of this wave of activism. I, I forget at which museum it was. Let's say it was the Guggenheim. Maybe it was at the Met. But I think it might have been at the Met. The the Met's official stance. Anyways, Katz wanted to take straight up just take down paintings, and the Met's official response was like, it's, "Or who we believe to be the Met." Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we started off mad scientific, and now right. it's like we have no, no yeah. idea what the fuck is happening. Yeah. Um, but their response was, "It's not the museum's position to the museum's position is to like house the shit," mm-hmm. and they sort of worried that taking it down would preclude any kind of conversation around the topic from happening. So it's like 
We are here as a forum of discussion and we expect or we hope the audience can be mature enough to sort of have a little bit of cognitive dis- dissonance. This is a great piece of art. The creator of it was a piece of shit. Like, let's have that conversation. And they were like, yeah, we don't want to shut the conversation down. And I think they were actually, then I think maybe the activists came back and were like, okay, let's put an asterisk next to the, you know, the little shit that goes by the big canvas. And they were like, yeah, that maybe that's okay. And I was like, yeah, okay, that might be like fine. Like, but like the like the straight up cancel culture, I think we can agree is just ridiculous because of how condescending it is and simplistic and like, okay, we're just gonna get rid of that thing and we're not gonna have the conversation. It's like, can't we be mature enough to like right. have I mean, the conversation? Like, like think about like I mean, it's a part of the culture and it's like whatever that art is, is that piece of art is like a time capsule of whatever era that that, you know, work was created. And so it's like, you think about like Michael Jackson, like if you're going to cancel Michael Jackson, you're really going to like get rid of Thriller, you know, are you really going to get rid of Off the Wall, which I think is the better album. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, are you going to really get rid of that shit? Like, I mean, baseball, to take this to sports, like, baseball is, like, suffering <laughs> behind not having the fucking steroid era uh, players in the Hall of Fame. Like, Oh, I thought you were going to go a totally different route with baseball. I was about to be, like, be upset. I thought you were going to talk about, you know, baseball's legacy of racism. Racism and shit? That's too easy. That's too easy. Uh, um the the hall of fame like you're like because yeah we can go into the negro league and just everything and that yeah but um but no like the hall of fame is like you have you have you know a rod barry bonds mark mcguire like sammy sosa fucking um roger clemens like you have a whole lot of cats who were like you know integral to the game like becoming what it you know just becoming what it was or you know yeah what it was in the 90s and shit 90s and early 2000s and so it's like you don't have that piece of history in your in your annals and that's kind of trash yeah that's That's a fuck that's a really good point yeah that's kind of trash like you have like that's a, a big part of the culture and a big part of the league's legacy and you don't acknowledge it like that's yeah. and and so like that's what you that that's pete rose too that's oh, yeah, yeah that's pete that's pre-steroids but yeah that's that's also like somebody else where it's like player manager you know hall of fame basically on both and now you don't have them in there because of the gambling shit but it's like that's a big part of the game like yeah you know so i don't know that's that shit that canceling of of the art and the artists because you know their moral reprehensibility i think is just mis you know misplaced so you're just saying it's sort of like a misguided intuition yeah point blank period like Uh, yeah okay so yeah i guess i could try to state my so i guess it kind of probably sounded like i was arguing that you cannot separate the art and the artist and i kind of think that it just sort of as a practical matter, you can't. And as someone, or as a practical matter, you sort of, 
on a certain level you have to, but then on a certain level you can't. So my thing is just like memorialize it or not, that's not maybe the right word, but like have the conversation. Document. Yeah. Document it. Cause it's like, you can't teach a film course and not talk about the films of Roman Polanski. Mm-hmm. You can't go to an art history class and not learn about fucking Picasso. So, but it's just like be, I guess, and maybe there is, there is sort of like this lingering, like it just feels icky to me just because I, just because of like the shit with the shit I was talking about, like with the factory farming and vegetarian and how I can't continue to like morally justify it, even though I continue to eat meat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I mean, it, but is that like, I guess it's also like, yeah, like you said, like there should be this, um, there should be like this maturity level that's there where people can't have these conversations and it not, you know, it not turn into, you know, but, but I don't know, like, I guess there's like, there's part of me that's saying that that part is impossible. <laughs> like that, yeah. that the maturity of, you know, the masses Yeah. (laughs) And then there's even, there's times when I'm like, you know, take the most difficult case ever where like you have this monster whose monstrousness actually contributes to them making really, really dope art. Then it's like, at a certain point, I'm kind of just like a slave to the art. Like if that shit bangs, then it's no matter, you know, the the most aggressive attempt to persuade me or like you know the most aggressive presentation of the facts of this person of how awful this person was i mean i might i might still be bumping that shit like if it's if it's good enough yeah and then and that's sort of like i guess that's what i'm saying i guess i I guess my whole like playing devil's advocate here was sort of like trying to acknowledge that reality and maybe it's a sad reality but it's a reality nonetheless fire all right you wanna you wanna wrap it up? Oh, pause. Yes. Shit. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm going home after that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hit us up at NTYMI Pod. Rate us on iTunes. That's the thing you gotta say. Oh yeah, yeah. For sure. Do all that.